0: If anybody needs a Bible, hold up your hand, and uh, one can be brought to you. (laughs) I know you guys are used to this. Phew! All right. Well, normally at Calvary Chapel, as most all of you know, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, Um, but not tonight. Uh, and the last time uh, that I did one of these um, mission at your doorstep, mission filled your door, was in fe- uh, February for the Jehovah's Witnesses. And even then, I spent most of my time talking about the Bible. I talked about what you can. I gave you a couple of things that you can present to them um, from John chapter two and from the Book of Revelation, based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the uh, deity of Christ. And so it was still pretty much a Bible study. This is going to be different because Mormonism is a whole different animal. Um, so, so I'm going to have to. It's a little bit uncomfortable because I'm going to have to talk about things like their history and and different things that he said happened to Joseph Smith Jr. Things he says are going to happen to him or had happened to him rather, and. Uh, fit that into what they believe to try to educate you on what they believe, because you can carry on a whole conversation with a Mormon and not realize it. You can talk about the Lord, and they'll talk about the Lord. You can talk about God, and they'll talk about God. You talk about Jesus Christ, and they do too. You can talk about the Holy Spirit, and they do too. You can talk about salvation, you can talk about atonement, you can talk about virgin birth, you can talk about all these things, and you're not talking about the same thing. Every single one of those things has been redefined from the historic biblical definition Um, And so you could come away, you could talk to them, have a conversation, walk away, and feel like you've had fellowship with a brother, and that is just the farthest thing from the truth. You have to define terms, and to do that, we're going to have to look at um, a number of things uh, in their history and what they believe. So, as we look at Mormons, we need to, one, take a brief look at their history, help us understand what they believe also. There have been many factions, Uh, at least 95 have been documented. Uh, Some have counted over 100. Uh, All of Each one of these claims to be true followers of Joseph Smith, Jr., and that he was a prophet, and they all believe the Book of Mormon, but they're not from the same group, and they have differences. However, the Utah group is the largest group. That's what we're going to concentrate on. They're usually the ones who send out the guys that come to your door, so they're the ones we're going to concentrate on. But you do want to check and see... Um, who you're uh, talking to. Uh, They will say that they believe the Bible is the word of God insofar as it is correctly translated. Now, you could probably get by with that about 200 years ago, um, but there's been a lot of archaeological manuscript evidence discovered in the last 200 years. All of the Dead Sea Scrolls have shown up. They believe that our Bibles are corrupted, uh, probably more specifically corrupted by the Catholic Church, and they can't be trusted And that is just not true. We have, I'll talk more about that later. I don't want to get ahead of myself. That's a, what do they call it, cliffhanger or (laughs) sudden a hook or something. Um, Yes, and the reason why they have to have an incorrect Bible is because it condemns so many of their beliefs. Okay, I talked about that. they also believe in the doctor, uh, the Utah group, also believe in Doctrine and Covenants and Pearl of Great Price. Um, they believe those to be the word of God. I have some things with me. I have the Book of Mormon. I'll actually be reading from that. Tom will, if he listens to the, um, you know, it's just one of those things. But this is educational. This is building up of the saints. Apologetics is something we're all called to. We'll talk about that more in a little bit, too. There's another book. It actually, there's two books in one. It's Do- Doctrine and Covenants and Pearl of Great Price. And so we'll be looking at some things that they say in those books. It's amazing how many things are not in the Book of Mormon, that the Utah group believes, and there is no evidence for it in the Book of Mormon at all. You have to go to their other writings to, to find where those things are taught, and not just those, but others um, others that too. Um, so we'll see what the uh, some of their some of their history, and um, we'll need to see the need for defining terms because they are insidious, diabolical, nefarious. They play a chameleon game. They try very hard to look Christian. They redefine terms to mask their heresy, and they don't mean the same things we mean when we say those things. I talked about. Oh yeah, we believe in the Trinity. No, they don't. They believe in three separate gods. Actually, they believe in a whole lot more than that. But they'll say, take those three, and they'll. They'll say we believe in the Trinity, and that's, they mean something totally different than what we do, where we believe that there's one God and three persons in that one God. They're all co-eternal, and they don't have the same view. We see the Father's called God, the Son's called God, the Spirit's called God, but there's only one God. That's the Trinity. They mean separate gods. Um, I'll explain a little bit more. As we come across what they believe through their history, we'll talk about each one of these things. Um, And speaking of chameleon, another thing I should let you know is that there's a group called the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and it's headquartered up in Independence, Missouri, and uh, they claim to be the true followers of Joseph Smith. In fact, his son, Joseph Smith III, he was Joseph Smith Jr., Joseph Smith III is supposed to be the founder of that church. They have recently changed their name to Community of Christ. So if you're talking to somebody and they say they go to Community of Christ, they believe in the Book of Mormon, they believe Joseph Smith, Jr. was a prophet. So just keep that in mind when you're visiting. And um, let's see. So we need to know which group we're talking to. And once we understand some of the teachings, then we can look at, finally, what you do when they come to your door. And I have a note to myself here. Stick to the notes. The reason for that is we've got cut a lot of material. And if I start telling the stories and stuff, we won't get done in time. So let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your precious word. We're thankful for the surety of your word, that you know, it's, a, it's an anchor that we can tie to and, and know it's it's settled uh, forever in heaven and not something temporary. Uh, we're thankful for your, your precious word. We ask that you would teach us, equip us, and have your way in us. We ask you would use us to be a witness to others. We pray that those to whom we witness would have their eyes open and they would turn from false teaching and turn to the truth, and so escape the snare of the evil one. And uh, we ask that you to edify the saints tonight. We ask this that this would be to the praise of your glory. So we ask it in Jesus' name, Amen. Mormonism, a mission, a mission field at your doorstep. Now, some of these, I took some of these same slides from the um, Jehovah's Witnesses presentation. Uh, so some of this will look familiar. But just a quick look at Matthew chapter 13 verses 24 through 30 Oh and I didn't bring my new King James. I've got <laughs> Oh well. Um, I can't read those. They got small print. <laughs> no, that's okay. All right. We'll make do here. All right, try that again. Matthew 13, verse 24. This is the kingdom parables. This whole chapter is kingdom parables. And he said, Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, an enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then is it, does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. And the servants said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest, you gather up, lest while you gather up the tares, you also um, uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather the bundles, uh, gather together the tares, and bind them in bundles, and burn them together. The wheat into my barn." Now, it's generally considered that the tares were the darnel, and its the Latin name is up there, Lolium temulentum. Uh, tim, uh, tim, the second word is Latin for drunken. It's because if you get a little bit of it in your system, it's poisonous. It'll make you look like you're drunk, but if you get enough of it, it's poisonous. Well, false teaching is poisonous the, uh, the, instead of the, the true wheat. Let's look at some other things, too, like the, what, a cult, what a cult is. A religious group which differs significantly in one or more respects as to belief or practice. From those groups which are regarded as the historic normative expressions, they're also gathered around the specific person's beliefs and teachings. Okay, and then we see on the next slide that everybody or no, every cult usually is following somebody. The Jehovah's Witnesses are following Charles Taze Russell. Uh, The Mormons follow Joseph Smith Jr. Christian Science, Mary Baker Eddy, and so forth. Now, um, these are Counterfeits. Let's go ahead and go to the next slide. Thank you. Second Corinthians eleven four. for for a who comes preaches another Jesus whom you have not preached or if you receive a different spirit, which you have not received or a different gospel, which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. He's chiding. Paul is chiding the Corinthians here because they um, um, were putting up with false teachers. It's imperative that we have the right gospel, the right Jesus, the right spirit. And it, it makes a difference for our eternal destiny. And then also in uh, Galatians chapter one, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some. there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven, keep that in mind as we go through Mormon history here, if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed, as we've said before. So now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Now, the people who are in the cults are deceived, and deception is insidious. The one that's deceived does not know it. If there's a... I know I'm not deceived. Well, that doesn't mean they're not. They don't, they don't know. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But if our gospel is hid, or I'm sorry, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, whose image of God should shine on them. And so these are not our enemy. They have been deceived by our enemy, and we need to be loving to them and try to help them. Okay? Be an ambassador for Christ. Wrong methods. Ignoring them, slamming the door. Um, Also, letting them run the conversation. Don't let them do it. You're the child of God. You're the one commissioned by Christ to take the gospel to everybody. Uh, You be in charge. So don't let them control the conversation. Um, We are warned against false teachers. We're commanded to guard and defend the truth. Jude chapter, or Jude, there was only one chapter in Jude. Jude, verse 3, says, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. That means there's no progressive um, revelation, there's no... Uh, expansion on the revelation of the gospel that has been given to us is once for all. We have it. We've got the whole thing. Uh, Joseph Smith or Moroni, the uh, angel Moroni, or others who claim to, uh, basically they, they claim that Christianity disappeared from the face of the earth, and their leader, whoever that leader is, whether it's Charles Davis Russell or Joseph Smith Jr., they restored Christianity to earth. Well, with new revelations, and there are no new revelations that are fide that, that are true. Uh, they have been given to us uh, once for all. And then <clears throat> 1 Peter 3, 15 through 17. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. And then 2 Timothy chapter two, twenty-three to twenty-six. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And then we know from 2 Peter 3.9 that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but is, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So um, we want to remember what we're doing and why. We don't want to be abrasive. Uh, We don't want to um, either by ignoring them or or mistreating them or something like that. We could spend weeks, really, on teaching how evil Mormonism really is. Uh, I have a number of books on Mormonism. If you can only get one book, if you can only afford one book, or if you only have time to read one book, this is the one I would recommend to you. It's The Maze of Mormonism by Dr. Walter Martin. He presents great detail but be warned, as you read through all the evidence against Mormonism that he provides in this book, it'll turn your stomach, and you will see what a scoundrel, the fortune-telling, stone-peeping, glass-looking, traitor-hunting scoundrel Joseph Smith Jr. was. <sighs> see, I'm putting it on one sentence, so I don't to tell you all the stories. <laughs> but he t- he doesn't take any uh, pull any punches on telling all the stories. Um, so, yeah. He was indeed a scoundrel, and uh, it also tells you, in no uncertain terms, what a terrible farce Mormonism really is. Now, you've probably seen the little diagram. I don't have it on slide up here, but it's the little choo-choo train. And the Christian believes that the engine uh, is fact, and the coal car is faith, and the caboose is feeling. There's nothing wrong with feelings, but they don't drive the train. They don't make the train go. Train. They don't do. They're just along for the ride. Okay. We base our what we believe on fact we believe, and then we have faith in that and trust in what God has told us about the facts. Feelings are okay. Mormonism is backwards. Um, they have no engine, they have the coal car, but the caboose is in front of it, so they have feeling and they have uh, faith, uh, but it 's based off the feeling. In fact, on a number of different times, mostly up in Sioux Falls. Uh, when I've done a teaching, I've had a theme song. And I was thinking just, uh, I think it was just yesterday, thinking about a theme song for this teaching. And I came up with one, and I'm not going to play it or, or anything, but you'll recognize it right off. It starts off something like, Uga Shaka, Uga 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 Shaka, Uga 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 Shaka. Everybody's laughing, you know what that is. Um, hooked on a Feeling. high on believing. There you are. That's Mormonism right there. Hooked on a feeling, high on believing. Well, I read and I prayed and I got the burning in my bosom. doesn't matter that I had a pepperoni and anchovy pizza. It's, you know, I had this burning in my heart, burning in my bosom. And so this is true. It's true because it makes me feel good. It's true. It's all based on this feeling that they had. And so, and now you probably have hooked on a feeling stuck in your head and all I can say is you're welcome. Mormonism is essentially a feel good religion. Um, Moroni 10, 4 through 5, they put that in the front of their book. Um, And it just, it's the angel Moroni supposedly, or Moroni before he became an angel. Behold, I exhort you that you shall read these things, and if it be wisdom in God that you should read them, that you remember how merciful the Lord has been unto the children of "...of men, the creation of Adam, even down unto time, and she received these things and pondered in your hearts. And when you receive these things, I would exhort that you would ask God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Christ, if these things are not true. And if ye shall ask with sincere heart and with real intent, having faith in Christ, he will manifest the truth of it to you, unto you, by the power of the Holy Ghost. And by the power of the Holy Ghost ye may know all the truth of all things." That is entirely wrong thinking. We don't pray about how do we know something's true? Pray about it? Well that's no, that's not what the Bible says. So when they come to you, they will ask they have a they have a predefined script that they follow, and that's one of the questions. They'll say, If you sincerely ask your heavenly father to guide you, would you feel that he would deceive you? And you go, oh well no, I don't think I don't think the Heavenly Father would deceive me. Um after all, his word is truth. So then they say, Mr. Brown or whoever, do you feel that you can know the, the truth of these things by pondering them sincerely and asking the Lord in prayer? Uh, no. If God's already talked about it, I don't have to pray about it. If I heard a voice that said, uh, go rob the bank and give the money to the poor, well, I'll have to pray about that. Is that true? Is that from God? Of course not. That's ridiculous. God's already said no. He already said Exodus chapter 20, you shall not steal. Okay, that's it. I don't have to pray about it. I'm done. The Bible is what has told me that I can't do that. The Bible has told me what the truth is. The Bible is where we check the truth. Um, Jesus said in John 17, 17, your word is truth. And this is the method that God has given us to discern truth and error. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, is because they have no dawn? Of course, we've already looked at Galatians 1, 8, that says, Even if an angel comes and gives you a different gospel, that's accursed. Uh, If God has already told us about it, we don't need to pray about it. Um, It sounds absurd, but from time to time in the news, you'll hear somebody do some heinous thing, and they'll say God told them to do it. No, he didn't. Uh, It doesn't matter how hard they believe it, it's not the truth. Is it contrary to his word? Then it's not the truth. Now a Mormon may bring up James five. Uh, I'm sorry, James one five. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Uh, it, but just point out to them this is not a general test for truth. This is written to Christians. The context is talking about coping with with trials and not to determine truth. Uh, the true test is the Word of God, and we're supposed to be Bereans who are uh, who search the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. That's Acts chapter seventeen eleven. Um, no one should accept anything as belonging to the Only true God if it contradicts God's word. So let's say that you're in the military and you're going into a dangerous situation and you think that I'm kind of afraid of all these bullets. Um, I'm going to pray about it and then you get this feeling. I I, I think I'm like Superman now. I'm invulnerable. The bullets won't penetrate my skin. You're going to die. (laughs) The, The bullet is, I don't care how much you, it just makes you feel so good. I'm hooked on a feeling, I'm high on believing, the bullets don't hurt me, and you, you're going to die. That's just the way it is, or suffer loss. Uh, it doesn't matter how much you believe or how you feel about something. That doesn't necessarily make it true. You think that I can jump off a 50-story building, I've prayed about it, and I don't think gravity's going to take me down. And uh, Well, you're, um, the gravity will pull you down to the ground really quickly, and you will die, or be severely injured. So doesn't matter how good you feel about it, it's not the truth. The truth matters. As we saw in Isaiah 8.20, go to the word, to the testimony, to the law, to the testimony. If it doesn't agree with God's word, it's not the truth. Mormons, like the people in Jeremiah's day, day, they chose broken cisterns that would not hold water over the fountain of living waters. Now, Joseph Smith, Jr. started Mormonism. He was born December 23rd, 1805, and he claims to have had have a number of encounters with people, uh, the first one being with the father and the son. This has been 1820 when he was 14 years old. And then he had an encounter with an angel named Moroni, although some documents say Nephi. Uh, yeah, that was in 1823, so he was 17 years old. And then he had, had an encounter with John the Baptist in 1829, And then later he had an encounter with Peter, James, and John. Why? Well, we're going to talk about a summary of their history because these things all play into the significance of Mormonism and what they believe today. This alleged appearance of the father and the son, he said, uh, at that time there were revivals going on in Palmyra, New York. And so he went into the woods to pray about which church to join. And then he claims that the father and the son, two separate gods, both of them have flesh and bones body, bone bodies appeared to him. The biggest difference between Christianity and Mormonism is the difference between monotheism and polytheism. Mormons believe that man became God. Christians believe that God became man. Yes, Mormon believe that God was once a man. Adam, to be specific. We might talk about that a little bit as we go. Um, And they say, as man is, God once was, and as God is, man may become or may be. Every Mormon male who enters the priesthood desires to become a god someday and rule over his own planet, having sex with multiple wives to create spiritual children, while the humans on the planet have physical children to receive the spiritual children. I could not make this up. I really, (laughs) I could. Somebody did, but I I can't. This is just too far out. Um. That is their goal. They believe in lots of gods, uh, not just the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's another one they call Elohim. He was the one who told Adam to form this earth, and he became so. Adam became the god of this world. Uh, it is just bizarre stuff. Polytheism, many many gods. We are monotheists. There's only one God, who's been God forever. We'll talk more about this as we go. I'm just introducing material right now. Uh, further, Brigham Young. Oh. Okay, I have Adam God right here. Furthermore, Brigham Young stated in Journal of Discourses, 150 through 51, that our father Adam came into the Garden of Eden. He came into it with a celestial body. That means he's already become a god. And he brought Eve, one of his wives, with him. He helped to make and organize the world. He is Michael the archangel the Ancient of Days, about whom holy men have written and spoken. He is our Father and our God, and the only God with whom we have to do, Adam. That's Brigham Young. Brigham Young said he got this from Joseph Smith. Brigham Young said that Elohim was the one who told Adam to go ye and make an earth. Therefore, you know, I mentioned earlier how they redefine things. What about the virgin birth? Their story of the virgin birth is that Adam himself, he's, he's the God who's making the spiritual baby with the spiritual mothers, spiritual wives. and But when it came time for this one, for Jesus to take physical form, that was his first spiritual son, was Jesus. When it came time for him to have a body, Adam came down and had sex with Mary. To me, that negates the whole idea of what a virgin birth is about. But when they say they believe in the virgin birth, that's what they're talking about. Adam himself... As God came down. So Jesus is the son of the father. And the Holy Ghost was not involved. is what they say. Um, because the Holy Spirit doesn't have a body. Uh, shocking, isn't it? Uh, I couldn't make this up. So, excuse me, the truth matters. It said in Exodus thirty-three twenty that no one could see his face and live. Joseph did. but Or he says he did. Hosea 11:9 I am God and not a man. Jesus said in John 4:24 God is spirit. What is a spirit like? Well, what's the best commentary on the Bible? Well, the Bible. If you look in chapter look in Luke chapter 24:39, Jesus appeared to the disciples, they were afraid, they were seeing a spirit, and Jesus said, "Look at me and see, handle me and see. A spirit does not have flesh and bone as you see me have. Spirits don't have flesh and bone." So, when he says a flesh and bone God the Father appeared to him, well, it wasn't God the Father that we know as Christians. It wasn't God the Father in the Bible? Uh, I think it was. I don't even. I think it was just all made up. <laughs> I don't think he actually saw anybody. But um, but if he did see somebody and he thought it was God, it was a deception. Uh, Jeremiah twenty three twenty four. Do I not fill heaven and earth? Man, that's an incredible size body. (laughs) I fill heaven and earth. Second Chronicles six eighteen. Behold, the heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. And Psalm ninety verse two says, Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You weren't a man who became God by following the rules of the gospel. And being a good Mormon and exalting to Godhood, and then you're God forever, that's their belief. The Bible teaches that God from everlasting, eternity past to eternity future, everlasting to everlasting, He's God. Jesus always was God. He didn't have to become a man and, and ascend, uh, uh, be exalted to Godhood. He always was God. John chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But then Jesus became a man, John 1:14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of God. So Jesus was God, he became man. And then Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Though being in the form of God, he did not see that as something to be grasped or held on to, but he, he let go of that, he emptied himself and became a man. So he was God and he became a man. He didn't become a God because he became a man. So when they say God, they believe in many gods, but the God of this world is Adam, who was a man and became God in their theology. When they say Jesus, they are talking about God's firstborn Spirit Son, with whom we are all brothers, including Satan and his demons. Um, so Satan and Jesus are half brothers, having the same father but different mothers, because he has number Adam has a number of spiritual wives. Only Eve was only one of them, and both Satan and uh, Jesus had plans for saving mankind, and Jesus wanted to give people an opportunity to choose, and Satan wanted to force everybody, and so he chose Jesus and made him the Savior. We came that close to having Satan as our Savior, and uh, according to Mormon theology, when they say Holy Spirit, it's a separate God. How did he become a God if he never became a man? I don't know. That's a question they can't answer either. We'll talk about that more later, too. When they say Trinity, they're talking about three different gods. This is why you have to define terms. Now, he claimed that there were revivals taking place at uh, Palmyra uh, in 1820, and that's why he went out to the woods to pray about which church he should join. And it turns out, well, okay, let's finish the story. And he was told that he should join any of them that they were all an abomination. Excuse me. (laughs) Often Mormons claim we attack them. Joseph started it by saying that historic Orthodox biblical Christianity is an abomination. Only Joseph Smith had the true gospel to bring back to the world. That's what they say. That's not what I say. Actually, there were no revivals in Palmyra, New York in 1820. There were in 1824 and 25, um, but there are no references to his to this first appearance before 1831. So he just may have got this turned around when he was writing down dates or not remembering the past right. But regardless, the first appearance here is discredited. There were no revivals in 1820, and he was disobedient. Historical records showed that he joined the Methodist Epis- Methodist Episcopal Church. In 1828, when he was 22 years old, this is after he had been told not to join any church. And the interesting thing about this is there were a couple of guys who knew him. They knew his character. They knew what he'd been involved in. All the stuff I read off earlier about stone peeping, glass peeping, uh, fortune-telling, treasure-hunting, scoundrel, Joseph Smith, Jr. They knew him. And so when he joined the church, he talked to the pastor who did not know him, and they put his name on the on the roll book at the church. But these guys in the church who knew Joseph and his treasure hunting and spiritism practices heard what he did. They, and this was Joseph Lewis and Joshua McCune, they went and told him plainly, Joseph Smith, they told him plainly, Junior, they plainly told him that such a character as he was a disgrace, this is a quote, such a character as he was a disgrace to the church and that he could not be a member of it, unless he broke off his sins by repentance, made public confession, renounced his fraudulent and hypocritical practices, and gave some evidence that he intended to reform and conduct himself conduct himself somewhat nearer like a Christian than he had done. We gave him this cho- his choice to go before the class and publicly ask to have his name stricken from the class book, or stand a disciplinary investigation. He chose the former. He chose to just come and say, "Take my name off." Rather than have a disciplinary investigation done. So his membership only lasted a short time, but it was in defiance of what he was told by the father and the son when they came and he said, What church shall I join? They said, Don't join in him. They're an abomination. They joined one anyway. Well, let's keep going. This guys, the same guys, uh, Joshua McCune and Joseph Lewis, they said, It was the general opinion that his only object in joining the church was to bolster up his reputation and gain the sympathy and help of Christians, that is, putting on the cloak of religion to serve the devil in. People at that time knew him, referred to him as the peeper. Uh, people paid him to help find buried treasure by looking. How did he do it? He had a rock, and he had it in his hat, and he'd walk around with the the hat and looking at, at the rock, and then when he got over, he'd tell people, there's buried treasure here. And they dig holes and not find anything. And that only lasted for a while because people only follow you around for buried treasure so long and when you don't come up with anything, they quit following you around. But that was one of his practices. Um, well, let's just, there's uh, there's all, they, just get the book. There's all kinds of things about him being a scoundrel that I don't know I really want to get into. Um, he says he's going to pray for a farmer's corn. The corn was a failure. It was killed by frost. And, And he was supposed to hoe it because he owed the farmer money. (laughs) But he said, if I don't, I don't have to hoe it, if I just pray for it, it'll be okay, and it wasn't. There's just all kinds of stuff about this guy. He's, a scoundrel is probably too nice of a word for him. So, okay, the second appearance, uh, was of Moroni, supposed to be an angel, Moroni, who, uh, first told him about the gold plates that contained, quote, the fullness of the gospel, end quote, as revealed by Jesus Christ to earlier inhabitants of this continent. I mean, the American, North and South America. Moroni also mentioned two stones, the Urim and the Thummim, which are Hebrew words for lights and perfections. These are the stones that the priest, the high priest, the Jewish high priest in the Old Testament had in his pouch, uh, in his uh, his high priestly outfit. <clears throat> but anyway, he just borrowed these same words, brought them over and said this, these were stones that he could use to translate the plates. What an amazing coincidence, the very method he used for fortune-telling and for treasure hunting, uh, this occultic pra- practice of looking at a rock and a hat that's how he's going to translate the Book of Mormon. Wow. No wonder he was chosen for the job he had previous experience. Amazing. Well, the wealthy farmer named Martin Harris became a scribe in the translation process, and he translated 116 pages. Uh, Harris took the 116 pages home, showed them to his wife, and she was very doubtful of Joseph's integrity. The 116 pages disappeared, and Joseph said that God told him that those pages would never be translated again, so much for the fullness of the gospel. Uh, Harris was fired, and then a relative of Joseph, uh, Oliver Calvary, became the new scribe. Now, in 19, or 1829, Joseph is now 23 years old. He claimed that John the Baptist appeared to him and Oliver Cowdery and ordained them to, the, to Aaron's priesthood. So they baptized each other. Then after this, Peter, James, and John appeared to them and conferred upon them the Melchizedek priesthood. How in the world could Peter, James, and John give him the Melchizedek priesthood when the Bible says the Melchizedek priesthood belongs to Jesus and is his forever because of an indestructible life? But this is why, why is this important to go through the history? Because this is why to this day the Mormon church boasts of having two priesthoods, the Aaronic priesthood and the Melchizedek priesthood. Well, well, let's look at that. Excuse me. (laughs) The truth matters. Jesus is a high priest forever. This is Hebrews 5, 6, 10, and 20. Jesus is a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. 7, 16, it's still Hebrews. Based upon the power of an indestructible life, he's never going to die again. In chapter 7, verse 23, 24, still in Hebrews, there were a lot of Old Testament priests, but he, on the other hand, because he abides forever, holds his priesthood permanently. It is non-transferable to anybody, not even Joe, the swindler. Aaron's priesthood has been set aside for now because of the change in the law, because we're in the age of, the church and grace, and uh, God is going to bring the Aaron's priesthood back again in the uh, millennium. But in ten four, why? Why was it set aside? Because it's impossible. Uh, Hebrews chapter ten verse four: because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Galatians three twenty four says the law was our tutor to lead us to Christ. So Jesus is the high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. I don't know what, what part you can't understand in that. Forever. He's the high priest forever, according to the order. Of, he's, it, it's his forever because of an indestructible life. It's his priesthood, his priesthood permanently. It is non-transferable. It's very clear uh, in the New Testament that this is what Jesus has, not anybody else. So Jesus is the high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. What about us? First Peter 2, nine says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's what we do. That's what we're supposed to do. Revelation 1.6, And he, meaning Jesus, has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be the glory and the dominion forever. Amen. Uh, amen. Romans 12.1 Since we're supposed to be priests, what do we offer? We offer ourselves as living sacrifices. In uh, John 1.12, it says, As many as received him to them, he gave the authority to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. The version might say power or something like that, but it's uh, exousia in Greek, and it means authority. Power in the sense of authority. You can have two things out here stopping traffic on Glenstone. One could be a policeman, the other could be a Sherman tank. Sherman tank does it because it has the power to do it. The policeman does it because he has the authority to do it. We have the authority to become the children of God, the exousia. That's two different kinds of Greek Greek, uh, Greek two different Greek words, sometimes translated power. It is interesting that in Doctrine and Covenants, this book down here, in 84, 21, 22... It written in 1832. It says that a person cannot see the face of the father without the priesthood and live. But Joe said he saw the father and the son nine years before he received the priesthood, before he supposedly, allegedly received the priesthood. So in 1829, the translation was finished. Um, Joseph said he gave the plates back to Moroni. so the fullness of the gospel quote unquote was removed from the earth unlike Bible manuscripts that remain and prove the accuracy of the Bible there is no evidence for the Book of Mormon but the Bible to which they give lip service but do not trust has much evidence and uh, they have to claim an unreliable Bible because their religion contradicts the Bible and all over the place I have to say it again excuse me, there have been a lot of archaeological finds in the last 200 years the Dead Sea Scrolls were in the uh, 1940s. They predate Jesus. Well, we've been quoting from Isaiah. Remember, to the, to the law and to the testimony. If they do not agree with this word, they have no dawn. Remember that? It's from Isaiah. We have a complete scroll of Isaiah, the Dead Sea Scrolls, dates to about 125 years before Christ, before Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That scroll was over 125 years old already. We can go back and look at it. Is there something wrong with our Bible? Nope. It is in complete agreement with our Bible we have today. We have these documents for the Old Testament, the Dead Sea Scrolls, approved the Bible has not changed, it's not altered. God has preserved his word for us to this day. What about the New Testament? There are over 6,000 Greek manuscripts. The official number is probably a little bit less than that, maybe 5,900 something by now. But I know that there are manuscripts that just haven't been vetted and uh, authenticated and uh, dated and cataloged yet. It's a very long process. I know about some documents that I can't even tell you details about. I'm not supposed to tell you what details about it. This was just, they were discovered about five, six years ago, and they are still in the process of being vetted and dated and and cataloged before they're officially added to the number. So I know that there's many manuscripts has been found since this time. Um, But So I don't have any qualms about saying over 6,000 when the numbers probably actually, the official number is probably less than that. And then when you take into consideration we've got nearly 20,000 translations into early languages, other languages, that is a lot of evidence. If somebody went in and changed the Bible, we would know it. By the time that the Roman Catholic Church got going, we already had copies buried in the sand that would be discovered in the last 200 years that would verify or validate have right here is still correct. A man in Texas, he runs an organization that takes pictures of ancient New Testament manuscripts using um, high resolution digital photos and multispectral imaging, because sometimes you can draw out maybe writing underneath and draw that out with multispectral imaging and read it. He said that he was traveling, uh, he, he travels a lot on the airplane, and he said that Sometimes, you know, whoever he's sitting next to, what do you do for a living? He says, well, I study ancient Greek New Testament manuscripts. And they said, wow, that probably gives you a different picture. He said, nope, gives you the same picture. It's because it's the truth and it's the picture or the story that I love. It gives you you a different story. No, same story, the story I love, it's the story that's true. When you read that they found a manuscript and it's Mark, how do they know? Because it's the same thing. If it said something different, they'd never think it was Mark. But when the words are exactly the same, well, okay, well, this is Mark chapter 1, these verses, there you go. It's the same thing. Well, there used to be a commercial. It's the same thing. I don't remember what commercial was. And then uh, the, the the ones that were discovered, I don't know, about another six years ago or so from Corinthians. How do they know they're from 1 Corinthians? It's the same thing. It says the same thing. He says he studies all these ancient manuscripts you don't come up with a different story of Jesus. It says the same thing. And even if you do find one, there was a scribe who was anti-Semitic, and he did alter the text. How do we know? Because his is so different from everybody else. All the others so are rock. The Bible, the New Testament we have is rock solid, rock solid. We have nothing for the um, Book of Mormon except Joseph Smith's word. Uh, you know how much that's worth. And so, um, not only that, but we also have archaeological finds. There's the things like the Moabite stone and the black obelisk and things like that that verify or talk about the same things that the Bible talks about, Bible history. We see the Bible history constantly substantiated. I remember once upon a time they used to say there's no such thing as the Hittites. Nobody believed in the Hittites because there's no evidence for the Hittites. They were only in the Bible. They were mythical people. We know so much about the Hittites today. We know where their headquarters were. We know where their kingdom was. We know what their religious beliefs were because they found all this stuff through archaeology. I mean, there's all kinds of uh, evidence for the integrity of the Bible, I'm not even looking into things like fulfilled prophecies. The Bible is rock solid, but only solid. only the Bible is rock solid. They moved around a lot due to a lot of conflicts, internal that ended up uh, factions and splits, and external, which was mostly over the doctrine of polygamy. In 1844, four Mormons were jailed, Joseph and his brother were two of them, in Carthage, Illinois, and a mob rushed the jail, and Joseph Smith, Jr. died in a gun battle at the age of 38, shooting it out. Uh, They say that he's a pristine prophet and also a martyr. He is not a martyr. I can respect the fact that the mob who had no business doing it, coming in trying to kill him, I can understand self-defense. If somebody's, you know, under attack and you self-defense, that's, that's valid. I have no problem with that. that. Yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm trying to be generous here. <laughs> I'm just trying to be generous for poor old Joe. He was certainly assassinated, but he was not a martyr. What is a martyr? Look at Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Do not hold this sin against him. He wasn't throwing rocks back. <laughs> that's, that's a martyr's death. Joseph Smith was not a martyr's death. He died shooting at others. And, this, and even the Mormon church's own records indicate that he killed people with the gun when they were coming after him. That is not a Christian martyr. So they were without a prophet, and then they had a lot of splintered groups come off and so forth. So you have to see which group you're talking to, and we've got to hurry up here. So when you see them coming, what are you supposed to do? Start with prayer, that the Holy Spirit would lead you, and use you, and then the Holy Spirit would be at work in the heart of the person coming to your door. They are deceived. They need the truth. Take charge. You are the child of God, functioning under the authority of our great high priest, Jesus Christ. Let them know you're glad to see them. Um, this is one of the things I do like to do. When I see him coming, I open the door. And I say, "Hi, how are you doing?" I'm really glad to see you guys. A couple of guys came by uh, from the Mormon Church in the past. They left a Book of Mormon. I've been looking into it, and I have some questions. Maybe you can help me out and understand what I'm reading. And so, you've already by doing that, you've knocked them off their pre-planned, memorized presentation. Oh, okay, we're going to help you. Um, and so, I go get my Book of Mormon. In the front of that, I've listed a bunch of questions uh, regarding the Book of Mormon, and also, if I'm talking as the Utah group, uh, some things that have to do with Doctrine and Covenants and Prolegate Price. And so, once you have them dislodged from their memorized presentation, we should have some up here. Um, I'll read some of them to you. Eh, I don't want to take all these. We don't have time for all these. Um, let's go with um, Second Nephi five, fifteen, and sixteen. I did teach my people to build buildings and to work in all manner of wood and of iron and of copper and of brass and of steel and of gold and of silver and of precious ores which were in great abundance, great abundance. And I, Nephi, did build a temple, and I did construct it after the manner of the temple of Solomon, save it were not built of so many precious things, for they were not to be found upon the land. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> they were in great abundance, but precious stones and stuff weren't on the land. Okay, which one was it? It's one of the questions I like to answer. ask them. And if, I don't know. They don't know. These are questions they can't answer. Um, and And some of these are even better yet. Jacob 4, 1 says, Now behold, it came to pass that I, Jacob, having ministered much unto my people in word, and I cannot write but a little of my words because of the difficulty of engraving our words upon plates. Oh, well, that makes sense to me if you're trying to write on a gold plate. I've never done it before. I wouldn't have any doubt that it's difficult. And Jacob says, I can't tell you everything that I taught because the difficulty. And then let's keep that in mind and look at 4 Nephi 1.6, where he says, And thus did the thirty and eighth year pass away, and also the thirty and ninth, and forty and first, and the forty and second. Yea, even unto, until forty and nine years had passed away, and also fifty and first, and the fifty and second. Yea, and even until fifty and nine years had passed away. Wait a minute. They just used fifty-seven words to say fifty-nine years went by, but it's difficult to write on gold plates. <laughs> why What is that? That's That's not the word of God. That is ludicrous. That is ludicrous. And so by the time I get through going through some of these, they can understand why I don't see this book as being the word of God. But that's a pretty good one, too. And then Ether, chapter... Ether, yeah, I think is how it's supposed to be pronounced. Ether. They have a guide in the back. Chapter 5, verse 1 through 12. This is one I really like, too. And it came to pass that the Lord God caused that there should be a furious win- — OK, just a little backstory. The Book of Mormon covers travels from the Near East, Israel, some of them, uh, Jewish people traveling to the Promised Land here, North America, the Americas, this continent. And so it it, catalog- or it lists stories about these groups of people coming here, and that's what this is. So this is, a, this is the story of the Jaredites coming to the promised land. And it came to pass that the Lord God caused that there should be a furious wind blow upon the face of the waters towards the promised land. And thus they were tossed upon the waves of the sea before the wind. And it came to pass that came to passes over 2,000 times in the, <laughs> in the uh, Book of Mormon. And it came to pass that they were many times buried in the depths of the sea because of the mountain waves which broke upon them and also the great and terrible tempests which, they, which were caused by the fierceness of the wind. And it came to pass that when they uh, they had roofs on them, I'll just skip this part because they had roofs on them so the water didn't get in even though they went underwater sometimes. And it came to pass that the wind never did never cease to blow towards the promised land while they were upon the waters. And thus they were driven forth before the wind. And done a little farther. It says, And thus they were driven for 340 and four days upon the water, and they did land upon the shore of the promised land. Whew. I said, Man, what do you, th- that is amazing. This, the tempestuous waves, this tempestuous wind, these mountainous waves. Uh, how fast do you think they were going? They're probably going at least, uh, they had to be going faster than 50, right? Oh, yeah, probably, probably faster than 50 miles an hour. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure they wouldn't be going 40. I mean, that, uh, it had to be faster than that. There's this mountainous waves and this tempestuous wind. They had to be going, they had to be going more than 40. Yeah. Um, there's no way they'd be doing 30. No. 20 is just ridiculous. Yeah. Did you know that if they were going 10 miles an hour, they would have circled the globe more than three times? <laughs> How is that? How can that be? So I ask them these questions. I share these verses with them and ask them these questions, and they, they just sit there and they just, I don't know. I don't know. Well, once you shut them down, and they also have seen that you've had a, some exposure to the Book of Mormon, and also, if you talk about things like uh, when they say something about God, and you say, now are you talking about Adam? Are you talking about Elohim? Are you talking about Jesus slash Jehovah? What are you, what's, what are you talking about? Then they go, oh, this is somebody who knows. <laughs> this is somebody who knows. Because otherwise they will try to pretend that they believe the God of the Bible and the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. They try very much to look like they are Christian. Um, some of the others that I have. Why do Mormons not believe in hell when it's clearly taught in the Book of Mormon? And there's a bunch of references for that. Um, if Jesus Christ wasn't conceived by the Holy Ghost, but instead uh, the literal only begotten of the Father Adam, how could he have been born of a virgin, as required by the Old Testament and is taught in is Isaiah, and also taught in the Bible and Book of Mormon. Book of Mormon in Alma 7.10 says that he was born uh, conceived by the Holy Spirit, which is what tells us in Luke also, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Uh, but, they, but they don't believe that. They don't believe in hell, but the, Bible, the Book of Mormon does talk about it. So... Once you've been nice to them and you're, they're going to help you and you have your questions already written out here. Oh, by the way, where did the questions come from? Did I happen to mention a book? <laughs> He's got an appendix in the back. <clears throat> He's got a number of them and one of them is Unanswered Questions on the Mormon Gospel and that's where I got this. It's also interesting that the Book of Mormon doesn't talk about a whole lot of their doctrines. The, Bo- the Book of Mormon never talks about God having a body of flesh and bones. It never talks about him as an exalted man. It never talks about eternal progression. It never talks about the plurality of gods. Um, it doesn't mention that God organized the world rather than creating it. Um, it's just, there's just a whole lot of things they believe that the Book of Mormon doesn't have at all. So anyway... Once you've covered some of these questions and they're they're speechless, if they're still around. I should probably tell one story. I did this. These guys came in. I know I'm out of time. These guys came in and I uh, I did this. Yeah, I'm really glad you guys are here. Some Mormon guys came by and they left the Book of Mormon and I got some questions. And uh, maybe you can help me. I, and I did. I went through these these same ones I read to you. And, and they're just in there. I don't know. The guy that's the trainee is looking at the guy that is the trainer and he looks at him and I don't know. It was the next day my wife and I were going to a wedding and back then when you took pictures you had to use a thing called film. You put it in the camera and you had to take it and get it processed. It was a long time ago. We uh, we dropped it off at one of the one hour places and so after the wedding we came back by to pick it up and they said we're proofing it but it's not ready so you can wait over here so I was waiting. And guess who walked in? It was the trainee. And so I walked up to him. I shook his hand. I told him how glad I was to see him, and I was looking forward to those guys coming back with the answers to my questions. And and uh, I just loved on him. And and um, I he but he wasn't with the guy who was training him. He was with some other guys, still Mormons. Um, so it was. Uh, I was kind of kind of would like to have been a fly on the wall to hear what was said after that. But after they gave me my pictures. <clears throat> but anyway, after you've done this, then you can share with them your testimony and share some of the verses we've looked at, how God is not a man and how God uh, uh, is from everlasting to everlasting. He's God. And the passage about Jesus being God already and then becoming a man, that he saved you, made you a child of God, and that um, uh, he's made us a kingdom of priests. Uh, you can admonish them to look at evidence and not just based on feelings and uh, just... Follow the Holy Spirit's leading and you have a chance and opportunity to share with them. So I've got to quit. I'm, I'm way over here and I'm sorry to take so much time. I have many other things, but we just don't have time for it. But I wanted to give you at least a brief overview of what to expect and what you can teach or what you can share. And, um, and, and this book has a lot of stuff that you might be able to use. Like I say, all these questions that they can't answer, um, Either I can give you a list of some or, like I say, you can get the book. So, Father, we are thankful that you have shown and given us your word and that your word is rock solid. We ask you to help us be effectively equipped to share with others the truth of your great grace, your kindness towards us, and, and that you have saved us by grace through faith and not by works, because all these other groups are basically works-based. We're so thankful for your kindness towards us. We ask that you would uh, bless each one here, bless Pastor Tom and, and Lisa, and please bring them back safely. And we ask you to have your way with us in Jesus' name. Amen.